Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. Pause for effect. That pause is where Nick Good. tries to frantically remember what we're doing this week. <laughs> <laughs> that pause, you hear all of the prep Nick does for this episode. <laughs> you know, folks, in doing this podcast over the course of now two, now more than a year, we've really gotten to know mm. each other's silences really well. Mm. And what we've discovered <laughs> is most of the time when we're silent, we're either frantically trying to remember something or we've forgotten the name of an actor. Mm-mm. No, frantically googling. That's most silence that you hear. Frantic googling. <laughs> Just trying to remember your names, uh, litheads. This week, I'm looking for the deep cuts, the best deep oh. cuts you've ever heard of or read about in a book. <laughs> Do they have to be deep That's- cuts that we have read about in a book? A separate book? <laughs> right. I did not bring a deep cut that I've read about. Is that going to be a problem today? I I just brought a like a deep and cut this week. I'm looking for the best deep cut of any author, of any yeah. author. Uh, let's go with that. To help me are two high school English teachers, of course, Ian and Joe. Yeah, my name's Joe Holshue. Nick, this week I brought a book that you probably haven't heard of it. Uh, it's it's really popular in Europe. Um, it is called Dead Eye Dick, the 1982 Kurt Vonnegut novel, and Nick, it's a little bit grim. Like so many deep cuts, right? It's a little on the darker side. Like like so many Vonnegut books. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably a little bit more accurate there, Ian. Thank you. I still have never read a Vonnegut book, but I feel like I've absorbed a lot by osmosis through yeah. Joe. I don't I don't know how one becomes an English teacher like without being exposed to Vonnegut when you're a kid. Like I thought that was like the mm-hmm. the superhero origin story of every English teacher. My superhero origin story for being an English teacher was I watched Kenneth Branagh's 1995 four-hour-long Hamlet way, way too early, and it was mesmerizing, and I was like, I want to see more about that, and that's it. And now we're superheroes. We are. My name is Dr. Ian Superhero DeYoung. Are you okay? I'm a high school school English teacher, and today, (laughs) Nick, if you're looking for a deep cut... I have a deep cut from a very popular author, which means it's probably not that much of a deep cut, but... It's a kind of a deep cut. It's uh, Stephen King's 2002 book, From a Buick 8, which is his second book to feature an evil car. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that, that should maybe be a genre uh, or a, uh, what do we call them? Themes. We call them themes. Yeah, sounds <laughs> like a theme, theme, theme some week. <laughs> yeah, uh. Evil cars. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. You know, some people are like, oh, they make a great band name, you know, and they're one of those people. They're like, oh, yeah. good band name. Maybe we can just mm-hmm. be those people in for themes. Litheads. Oh. Litheads, why don't you suggest themes like evil cars? Come on. I got, we did receive the, the greatest, um, I do want to announce this, um, the greatest theme suggestion I, I, uh, suggestion I think we've ever got. Okay. Um, and it's going to be revealed live here on the podcast. Yeah, live here on the podcast. Podcast uh, live, across yes. the nation. Um, little cities. 
<laughs> Which I I love it. I do like that it's not you know small town books. It's yeah. no 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 little city little books. City. Yeah, and oh, and that's, that's coming from our friend of the show Rachel. Um, oh Rachel, Rachel so is clearly Rachel. listening to us bemoan week in and week out the brilliance of big city books. So I guess everybody else, um, in case you don't know, uh, one of, probably our most iconic episode ever was a theme on big cities, <laughs> and um, and and so a uh, uh, beloved friend of the show, Rachel, uh, thought, why stop there? Um, <laughs> to the gamut. Um, let's and so, the gamut let, let heads, let's um, maybe step up your game on on right. themes. You know, right. Take a look at Rachel. She's doing it correctly. Lidheads, <laughs> step it up. I could really see a sub sub series going. Um, anyway, um, hey Stop. Joe, do you know that there's other authors besides Vonnegut? I do. Um, in <laughs> fact, I was looking at our suggested themes, and I had like three more Kurt Vonnegut books I wanted yeah. to talk about. It's been one of the joys of this podcast is getting to revisit all these books that I read when I was 15 years old. Uh, we, I don't I like- have. I have seen other books on the shelves though. I've okay. never read them, but I okay. have seen them. Then I don't think yet. I don't think Ian. I don't think we need a some sort of rule yet um, to right. ban Vonnegut mm. from the show. But right. man, we're. I mean, we're on the path, aren't we? We're drinking the <laughs> drinking the well dry. This is only my third, right? He's written like fifty books, guys. <laughs> oh, gracious. Um, here's my thought. I really expected when we started this podcast, like I would be the one kind of beating on the Tolkien drum and the Shakespeare yeah. drum. But I think combined, we've done more Vonnegut than we've done Tolkien and Shakespeare. And I would like to say that when um, Ian says combined, he means that I have brought more <laughs> Vonnegut than yes, we collectively have brought Tolkien and Shakespeare. Um, speaking of other live announcements from um, Loyal Litheads, um, I did receive a critique of the lack of Hobbit facts from you, Ian. Oh, I know. Um, I know. So shame on you. I know. I feel very shameful. Yeah, I think he's trying to 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 wind it down, uh, Joe. Because I think well, he's been he's had so many shticks, right? Like it's hard to keep up with all of the shticks. Like you can't yeah. do Hobbit facts and shadow rules and whatever else he does. I yeah. wear many hats, guys. Yeah, lots of shticks in your bundle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, that's a good point. Um, so, uh, well, welcome, litheads, to you don't know lit. Uh, weekly, or as we call it, a strongly, a strongly podcast. Another yeah. shtick. Oh, Stick. those wacky boys are at it again. Um, and uh, where every week we pick a theme that is of merit, and uh, Joe and Ian bring two books, and we pick a winner. Um, and of course, we have some rules to keep us on track because we will have a winner here today. Mm-hmm. And we have a rule number one, which is only unavoidable spoilers to today, gentlemen. Uh, okay. Rule number okay. two, two, omit, omit needless, needless words, words, Joe. Joe. That was seems like those were all needless words, Joe, as you <laughs> repeated what I was already saying. <laughs> and rule number three is winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Uh, uh, a fine quote by Vince Lombardi, um, who's not from Wisconsin, but as three podcasters from Wisconsin, we, we sure look up to him, don't we? Wisconsin's favorite son. Do you mm-hmm. think... He was, his real name was Vincent. Yeah, maybe. 
Second follow-up question. Mm. Did anyone ever see him and Vincent Price in the same place at the same time? Mm. It only took two questions to get to the the real yep. meaty bits. Thank you, yep. Ian. This is what we do. It's hard-hitting factual journalism on this podcast. Mm-hmm, 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 for sure. Um, so, we um, also have shadow rolls. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> Every week we say the same shadow rolls, and you folks, you know them with me. You know them, Litheads. You can say, say them, them with loud. me. Repeat them. They are who, what, where, when, <laughs> how, and most importantly, why. Very good. Um, well, hey, Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds? Uh, well, both of you will eventually take 30 seconds, but Joe, why don't you go first? And just give me 30 seconds about what your book is, and uh, I'll decide who gets to go first here. Absolutely. Nick, Rudy Waltz is a 12-year-old boy, and he has been granted the key to the gun room in his father's palatial oh estate boy. after a particularly impressive performance uh, at a shooting range. Uh, that night after dinner, he climbs the steps to the room, opens a window, loads a 30 out 6 and fires it over the top of the sleepy city. There's no danger. Rudy, after all, is a marksman. He is aiming at nothing, so nothing is what he will hit. Except he doesn't hit nothing. He hits a pregnant woman who's vacuuming an oh. upstairs bedroom. Hey, Joe, and you, also this is time. it's Mother's Day. What were you just gonna describe the whole book? I, you know no, you're supposed to give like, us like a little <laughs> teaser, right? Like, hey, this is this is what the book is about. This is why I should go first. Yeah. This is why I should go first, Nick. Some Vonnegut is young and hopeful, some is old and cynical. You can guess which one this is. I okay, like having heard don't know if having I can. heard some Vonnegut. I really don't know that we've ever heard any Vonnegut that's young and hopeful. It yeah. seems like all Vonnegut, like we could have a blind taste test like they used to do with Sprite and Coca-Cola. <laughs> right. And people could challenge. immediately the tell Vonnegut what's the challenge. Vonnegut because there's a Vonnegut vibe. Oh, yeah. like, ooh, this is bitter. This tastes is, bitter. Is Dead Eye Dick the new Coke of Vonnegut? <laughs> Dead Eye Dick is on the new Coke half of Vonnegut's career, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Classic book joke. Um, so, okay. Well, that was an interesting approach to your approach to your 30 <laughs> seconds, Joe. Uh, Ian, do you want to try this in a normal way now? Just a normal, we'll a just shot. kind of a, give me a, give me a back of the cover. Absolutely. Uh, when tragedy strikes, we often ask why, why, how on one what? level, Stephen King's novel from a Buick eight, which is published in 2002 and runs to 468 pages. On one level, this is a story about an evil alien car. On a deeper level, it's about the inexplicability of tragedy. Why do bad things happen? Well, according to King, they just do. Sometimes life doesn't wrap things up neatly with a little bow. You finished that with exactly 30 seconds, which is was almost like a little bow. Um, oh! Yeah. Is there an... Is there like a sound effect equivalent of a little bow? Because I would love that to go at the end of my 30 seconds there. Okay. No, yep, one of those. We already have sound effects and we actually just finally changed over um, our buzzer to a bell, which um, <laughs> only took 40 episodes. Can I tell you guys a horrible <laughs> uh-huh. thing about that bell? Here's a here's a long farm story about that bell. The bell, the buzzer was quieter. We were listening to the, the podcast in the car as we were driving and my infant son was asleep and my uh, excellent wife had done just yeoman service getting him to sleep, took her several hours. Mm-hmm. And we were listening for about 10 minutes or five minutes, I guess. That bell went off and he woke up. This is already an explicit <laughs> podcast, so you really shouldn't have this around kids anyway. He's asleep. He's a baby. He's asleep. He's a baby, Ian. 
<laughs> well, we stopped listening after he started crying. So. That's, it's a, this, that's intentional. It's for so that the kiddos don't hear it. All the naughty words it's that like, Joe likes to it's say. It's like a warning. Ian, I'm not sure if you knew this, but my first car was a Buick. So would you like to go first? Wow. <laughs> Nick, once again, picks on a whim. That's not it. a whim. Those are facts, Joe. Okay. What kind of Buick was it, Nick? Um, it was a Buick LeSabre, a 95, oh. um, best car I ever owned. Yeah. How high did the speedometer go? Um, not very high cause I babied it. Um, and I got it from an, an older woman. So it was a low mm. mileage car. It just, um, it literally rolled into the shop one day and died. Uh, oh no. After 10 That's years. Handy. And like yeah, that and woman. that was pretty much the first time it had ever been in the shop. So and it, and it, it, went, it went home. I was going to say, I, I think English teachers and probably listeners of this podcast, they have this bad habit of imbuing everything in their life with meaning. Like everything turns mm. into a metaphor and everything mm. becomes a personal relationship. And I think when a car dies, it's really a sad day. Like when that car goes away forever, like you have, you have memories with that car. It's heartbreaking. So Nick, I'm sorry for your loss. If you've taken some road trips or like if, it, you're, if it's your first car, the first car is hard. So with that, Ian. Yes, that's great. That's a wonderful connection. I'm glad, so glad that happened. Um, okay, <laughs> I want to start. Let's start with a little Stephen King game. Oh, that's, Ooh, that's spooky. very exciting. Okay, so this is, as I mentioned, a story about an evil car. As I mentioned, it is the second evil car book that Stephen King wrote. I, I was casting around for an, an approved style of game for this, and I think I got to go back to Zoot, Zoot Allure, um, where <laughs> oh, one Zoot person Allure. names one thing and so on. Joe, Joe we're getting a lot of mileage out of that one. So this, Why don't this, you explain Zoot Allure again? Yes. Um, so so I would say, for instance, um, your topic is things that Stephen, the thing, Stephen King thinks could be evil. And so, Joe, you might say a car, and Nick, yep. you might say... Uh, a doll. Well, which which when did that happen? Which which when did that happen? Oh, these are all things that have happened. Gotcha. In Got in it. Stephen King's books, book things that Stephen King says are evil. So mm, like Got it. A, ho- a, a, a a hotel in The Shining. The hotel is evil. Yep. Got it. Now I got it. Does I didn't know we okay. were going to play the got game it. as you were Explain well, I was supposed rules. to kind of like naturally segue, but we never do anything naturally. So now let's awkwardly start the game. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You can go first. I love it. I think things that Stephen, that Stephen King, King thinks are evil or could be I think evil. Stephen Th- King thinks that a dog could be evil. Yes. Cujo. Evil dog. Mm. Classic situation. Nick, you got one? Clown. Okay. I did give you that one. And we'll also say clown slash Clown slash spider slash alien because it is not just a clown. Wow. Uh, good. It's oh, a spider? Oh. Well, it takes the form of a spider. Anyway, Gross. back to you, Joe. Uh, so I'm going to run out of Stephen King knowledge really, really quickly here. That's okay. um, it's great for me. I think he thinks, uh, I bet he thinks a woods could be evil. How about a woods? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll allow it. The woods yes. or a woods? <laughs> a woods. Tiger uh, woods. James <laughs> woods. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay, Nick, back to you. Um, I'm going to lean on the fact that Stephen King has written about everything and just assume that whatever I say will, of course, have been an evil thing in a Stephen King book. Um, I will say a house. Yeah, there is a book called Black House with a house that's evil. Absolutely. Joe, let's get get one more from you, Joe. Yeah. 
let me see if I can. Okay, I'm just gonna think of things that I maybe think are spooky. Ooh, um, like, and I don't say I microphone. That'll be too, <laughs> too easy. <laughs> I, I'm up. I am up on this microphone right now, Nick. <laughs> I am right here. Um, I think that Stephen King thinks, uh, oh, and. An adolescent girl. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Which, yes. to be fair, I think adolescent girls do have magic powers. Like, the one thing being Ooh. a high school teacher has taught me yeah. is that girls are spooky witches. Maybe okay. le- maybe less telekinesis and more um, teleportation. No, only you can talk to each other. Mm. Brain, brain thoughts. Anyway, Nick, Nick you got one more. Uh, a car, Ian. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Is this game done yet? I would have also accepted hotels, a mine in Nevada, uh, demon-possessed toys, uh, a cemetery, mm. some aliens, some different aliens, some different aliens, a cell phone mm. signal, mist, or Kathy Bates. These are all oh, things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Stephen King, in his yeah, in his in his infinite wisdom, believes might potentially be evil. Well, it's better safe than sorry. I mean, you know what? If if he's just really, really, he's got his head on a swivel and he's warning us, I appreciate <laughs> it. He's doing good work. Look out. Look out. Look out. <laughs> Please don't laugh. Oh, boy. I, don't know um, I'm, <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys. I'm going to tell you guys about the plot of this book. Um, yeah, and then we're going to get. Great. We're going to get after that. Uh, that game sort of was like riveting and i i think we all learned a lot yeah and but you and have no joe idea what got this that joke about. in at the end i love yeah. it <laughs> good job joe I'll, I'll bill you later for the setup anything um, can be spooky that's what i've learned mm-hmm. so the plot to this book it is a novel it's not uh it's not nonfiction. i'm sorry um it's it's a pretty simple plot this book is less about sort of plot narrative development and more about characters and more about kind of its big question, which I'll get to in a bit. So in this book, um, uh, um, it's focused on uh, the barracks for a troop of Pennsylvania state troopers. uh, And one of them is killed by a drunk driver and his son ends up working for the state police troop. And while he's working there, he notices a mysterious blue 1953 Buick Roadmaster 8, which is stored in a shed. And he's like, what's up with that car? That's a cool car. And most of the book is one evening out behind the barracks and the cops explaining how little they actually know about this car and how weird the car is and how curious they are about the car. So it's told from a variety of viewpoints. Um, It's kind of uh, recounting 20 years of the troop's history with this car. Um, there's a saying that keeps running throughout the book. The saying is curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. And the point of this book is like there, there is a weird car and it exists and it's dangerous and it doesn't come with a user's manual and there's no simple explanation for it. Clear as mud. Yeah. Spooky car. I mean, really that's it. There's a, there's a spooky car and it does weird stuff. That's, I mean, I said the plot was simple. That's kind of the plot. So, so my, my preconceived notion about Stephen King books is I assume that this spooky car doing weird stuff, um, this simple plot happens over the course of 800 pages, a thousand pages. <laughs> no, only, only 468. Oh God. He probably wrote that in a weekend. <laughs> Stephen King. Well, actually he says, he says, 
he's so adorable talking about like his older work. He says he was he stopped in at a gas station in Pennsylvania and almost slipped. There was like a a, 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 a slippery bank down towards a river and he almost slipped down the down the riverbank into the river and drowned. But he didn't. And he kind of shook him. And then the rest of the drive from Pennsylvania up to Maine, because, of course, he was thinking about that and thinking about, like, if I just slipped there, nobody would have found me. And he said, by the time I got back to Maine, I had the whole story kind of plotted out in my head. So he did write it pretty quickly. Yes. I have a one star review for you. Yes, there there are plenty. <laughs> yes, there are. Um, I'm sorry, Nick. Was it too hard for you? Was it a real challenge to find a good one star review? It's never a challenge to find people that hate things on the internet. <laughs> My question is this: um, Does do you? Okay, so we have a, a lovely theme here, which we picked out um, after great debate, uh, which so is deep debate. cuts. Uh-huh. And my question is this, how do two of the most famous authors have any books that are deep, deep cuts? Wait, is this the one-star review? Is this your one-star review? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is my question prior to the one-star review. No, that's a that's a really good question. I think it's it's I mean the question that we we both both Joe and I probably should deal with is how is this a deep cut? So I think I think yes. When you're when you're talking about Stephen King, everything, even the ones that he says, like this this book was trying too hard. This book is not very good. I'm going to suppress this book. There's a book he wrote about in back in the 70s about a school shooting, and that has been suppressed. He hasn't publicized that one very much. Um, there's going to be books that even in a in a famous author's um, like written written bibliography, they're they're going to be less well-known. I think this one's a deep cut for Stephen King because a lot of people don't get it, I think. A lot of people come into it expecting kind of like your classic Stephen King thing where everything gets explained, and he's deliberately trying not to do that. And so a lot of people, I I read some some one-star reviews in preparation. A lot of people are like, I'm on page 200, and and nothing's happened. And other people are like, yeah, that's what's happening here. It's the worst. But like that's, that's not, A, that's not careful reading, and B, it's kind of the point of the book. You don't get a neat answer. Mm. Do you have a one-star review for me? I don't know. I don't even want to read it anymore. This guy didn't even finish the book. I just oh, feel yeah. like, hey, just stop. DNF. Le- yeah. The, the, ugh. Classic DNF. So Classic I can talk. DNFers. I think, okay, I think King has been, so Joe, you asked about like, is this a thousand pages? He has been mm-hmm. criticized for overwriting. Um, right. I, I've also Lying. heard it expressed by uh, my, my good friend Andy, who kind of got me into Stephen King books. Um, he really needs an editor. Um, there is a bit of overwriting in this book, but it's actually, like I say, surprisingly restrained. And this is because oftentimes King just tells you everything that's going on. The point of the story is I came up with this cool idea and now here's all of the exposition and we get a mm. ton of exposition. And this book doesn't really do that. It's kind of why it sticks in my mind as a King book, because he doesn't like completely explain everything. So this car has some weird things with it. Um, it can heal itself. If you scratch it, it heals itself. It can control your mind a little bit. It's probably a portal to an alien universe. But like <laughs> the just, the sort of like weird. the big, it's a weird car. I mean, it's your classic weird, weird car. car. Sometimes it flashes purple lights. But it, like, 
King doesn't give you any kind of why. Why does it teleport alien bats and fish and plants and eventually an alien humanoid to Earth? Why does it try to mind control humans into being transported back to the alien universe? Why does it eventually trick a main character into attempting to destroy it? King's like, eh. <laughs> it's like, how am I supposed to know? It's weird. I'm not a mechanic. He doesn't explain a lot of his uh, fiction, right? Mm. I mean, in that, is this horror? Horror? I would say, um, I mean, it's, it's horror inflected. Yes, there, there. I mean, it's yeah, it's horror ish, but I think it's actually it spooky, scary. It's mm, it's not more. It's not so spooky, scary as like you you feel the curiosity. You want you keep reading this because he does a really good job of like seeding down the path. Like, what are we going? Like, what what else is going to happen? So there's a dog and. Early in the book, he talks about kind of foreshadows how the dog gets poisoned and how people are so angry. And like that little nugget, he doesn't explain that further until much later, but that's enough to be like, well, I've got to see what happens to the dog. And this book, even though certain people on the internet have said it doesn't have a plot, this mm-hmm. book Lots is of kind of unputdownable. I, you were into it. I was getting ready for a hike. I was getting ready to go on a hike last week. Um, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, wait a minute. Sorry, I didn't realize you were about to tell us about your hike. <laughs> no, no, no. It, 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 I'm just, I'm just, I'm just clarifying the unputdownable thing. Oh, okay. I had to get up for the hike at like 5 a.m. and I like picked up the book at nine, and I had maybe 200 pages to finish. And I was like, around 10 o'clock, I was like, I'm in. I, I cannot. I need to finish this. So I kept reading, and I no hike for put me. it down. No hike for me. Um, no, I did actually do the hike, and it was great. There was a waterfall, but. Thank you for clarifying that. Yep. Um, (laughs) I like Stephen King and I've pretty much liked everything he's ever read, but I'm starting with the hits. You know what I mean? I haven't read everything. I haven't read everything. I'm not good stuff. Give me the good good stuff. stuff. Um, And so, but I feel like somebody, um, Somebody like a Stephen King or a Bob Dylan who has so much content mm-hmm. that you there is no longer um, uh, a focus on quality, but more <laughs> on volume. Is right. this? I, I think the problem, like some of those authors, with some of those authors, and when there's like a departure from what they normally do, it's mm. looked at as bad and not as like a different. Right, uh, uh, like approach to their yeah. typical writing style. So, is this just a deep cut because it's a bad book, or <laughs> is this a deep cut because he's trying to do something different that he doesn't really try to do in his other books? I, I think the latter. I think this is a deep cut because pretty it's easy, pretty easy out there. I left him, huh? Yeah, it was a nice little <laughs> yeah, softball little right in the middle of the plate. Softball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think no. I think you're. I think it's really it's really right, Nick. There is a King brand. There's a Stephen King brand, and oftentimes like this, the brand is you know huge and sprawling, and maybe end of the world. Um, his most well known work is the Dark Tower series, and that was seven, now eight books. Like the King brand is huge, and it's also like you know jumping through time and a massive cast of characters. This is really restrained. This really feels like um, you guys know the you guys know the term bottle episode. Like oh. on a TV show, uh, on a TV show when you sometimes when when shows need to like cut back on like their their 
their budget, they're, they're, yeah. they're over budget. Or when they want to really like play with character interactions, they mm-hmm. lock characters together in a room and uh-huh. just like the whole episode is set in that room. So a classic example of this is yep. in Breaking Bad, I think season three, The Fly, where yeah. Um, Walter just and in the lab the whole time, yeah, like chasing that right. fly, chasing yeah, that yeah. Fly. that's the that's the one that comes to mind for me, right? Classic bottle episode. This is kind of like a bottle episode because it's mostly centered on one location. It's mostly a limited cast of characters, and it's got a very very specific focus. This car, right. the weird stuff it does, the curiosity it evokes, and the ultimate inexplicability of these phenomena. Like, here's the thing. Even his most, his most like mysterious books, he always gives you a a good explanation. Like Mm. Pet Cemetery. Well, I should actually, I I shouldn't do spoilers. Don't you dare spoil that. (laughs) In the next 30 seconds, Ian will spoil every major (laughs) Stephen King novel. (laughs) No, that would be a good game. (laughs) But this book, this book is, is, I would say, Nick, there is a King brand and this book I think maybe is a deep cut. It's not well-respected or well-known because it's not classic King. It departs from that King brand. That doesn't mean it's bad. I think it's quite good. I think it's quite well, good. It, <laughs> it sounds tantalizing. Like even in like the yeah. little glimpses that you've given us, like it has flashy purple lights and there's a poison dog, a Whoa. poisoned dog. Um, maybe also poison. Um, like I'm like, Oh, what, what's going on with that car? That car sounds yeah. weird. Portal alien universe. That's a good yeah. point, Joe. I mean, do you think, sounds like you think he should win. No, I think, uh, well. No. <laughs> Joe is conceding. <laughs> Why don't we do concession speeches? <laughs> this book sounds amazing. <laughs> no, it's it got is, it all, it is, Ian. <laughs> it is really tantalizing. I don't, think, I don't think it's like King sets up this inexplicable puzzle and then refuses to answer it. It's just like he says, the point of this book is there are things that happen in our lives that we cannot understand or explain and this is kind of why i really like this is the second level and this is why i really love this book as a book about an evil alien car that heals itself and gives birth to um corpse lilies fine that's great but i really like the idea of like the limits of human understanding or perception so there are unexplained things in the world that we might never understand. Um, you guys have heard of the global home. Have you heard of this? Mm, I think that's just tinnitus. I think it's in your ears. <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> they've done, they've done like studies on it. Basically like 4% of the global population can hear this, um, this hum. And, uh, it hasn't been explained. Go let heads, go Google it up. It's you'll go down the rabbit hole for a while. Um, there are all kinds of conspiracy theory ideas. Why uh, people hear this, there are tests that have been done to kind of isolate it. Um, there are some hypotheses, but this, like it's not localized in a specific area. It's not a specific season or time. It's just like some people hear an electronic humming and it's not their ears because they've tested that. It's, it's just so that's one. That's one example. Uh, DB Cooper. You guys know uh, who DB Cooper was? Oh, I do know this one. Yeah, Joe. Who is DB Cooper? Yeah. So from memory, uh, DB Cooper was a guy that robbed a bank. I want to say he 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 absconded with some large amount of money. Um, flew in an airplane, and the airplane crashed uh but the money and db cooper were never found and it was like i think there's a lot of speculation over like maybe who he was but more so what happened to him and yeah like did he get away with this right it seems like he got away with it right yeah it was like the 70s and it was a million dollars which in the 70s was a lot of money 
but like there are these yeah it's good thank you thank you joe that was really good there are a lot of these um these flashy unexplained things bigfoot area 51 like we might never understand certain things about the world but they're also really mundane and i think maybe more poignant questions that are kind of unanswerable they have to do with tragedy they have to do with struggle like why me why now why is this thing happening like 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 what's the purpose like i'm i'm getting piled on by all these all these universal things happening at the same time you know um i i hit uh i hit i hit a, a car on my way to work and then i got a call that i was fired and like all the stuff why me why now these questions which you like those kinds of questions they're unanswerable for a different reason than the question of like what is the global hum and this so book it, it, go ahead yeah i was going to say so like is the answer to that question and, and these are going to sound very close, but is the answer to that question, nobody knows, or is the answer to that question, there's no reason, right? Like this is, yeah. yeah, this is, and this is, I think the kind of delineation that King is playing with. I think so. So in the, in the book, the, there is the, the, the state trooper dies at the beginning and his son comes to work for the state troopers, um, uh, barracks and, um, uh, he wants closure. He's like, why did my dad have to die? Um, like my, like I, I, he gets into, he gets into college and he's like, I wish I could have showed this to my dad. Why did he have to die? And, and I think one question that King puts forward is like, there is no answer. And the other question is like, we can't know the answer. And I think he uses the creepy car as a symbol of there is a reason this car exists. It got sent to our universe for whatever reason, but we don't know. And human beings, we the member, the characters in this book, they can't figure it out. And that's kind of exasperating to know that there is a question with an answer, which we will never be able to understand. <laughs> yeah. It gets stressful pretty quickly. It does. And, and yeah. it's really about, it's really about like f confronting that stress and coping with it and moving beyond sort of like aggravated curiosity to acceptance. There are things that we just can't comprehend and hounding after answers that we can't find, it won't do us any good. So the book kind of ends up, it's not a downer. It kind of makes peace with this, um, with this unanswerability, this inexplicability. Um, we've reached the end of our capabilities. We, we can't find the answer to this impossible question. Um, yep. it's like, um, it's kind of like the Star Trek, um, Kobayashi Maru game, which you can't win. So your job is to make the best of a no-win situation. And it's like, we don't know. We can't figure out where this car came from or what it's doing here or why it does what it does. And we're just going to have to live with it. It's over there in our garage, sitting and waiting. And that's that. That's the end of it. All right. So I have in here... Ian's book asks questions and does not supply any answers. <laughs> um, great. Thank you, Ian. I know. There is there is not a movie of this book. It has not been filmed. Um, George Romero was attached to it for a while um, of the zombie film um, for fame. And then Seems also Toby. unlikely he won't do it. Yeah, because he did pass on. Friend of the Friend show, of the though. Show. Friend of the show. Um, yeah. Toby Hooper, who is also a horror icon, uh, was attached to it. He's not attached anymore. I think this isn't going to be made into a movie, or if it is, it'll be a really bad movie because this is an unfilmable book. 
this is a book which I think is more interested in making a comment on grief and tragedy than on the spooky weird stuff about this creepy car. It's a great spooky weird creepy car. Don't get me wrong. If this book becomes a movie ever, Leadhead, you can show up at my house and sh- and publicly shame me. Right. Throw paint at him. Show yeah, up at his throw, house with a bucket of paint. You know, and throw, mark him. Throw a Buick 8 Roadmaster at me. Through mm-hmm. his front window. Yep. Let the shaming begin. Maybe they should get to shame you until there's an adaptation. Oh, no, that doesn't make any sense because <laughs> our right to start now. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, hey, everybody. Hey, Litheads. It's summertime. Ooh. Summertime. summertime. Ooh. Summer is a special time for teachers, as you know, uh, Nick, yeah. and as you know, Ian. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the old joke goes that I became a teacher for three reasons. Nick, can you finish that joke? Summertime, summertime, summertime. Very close. Uh, the best delivery is June, July, and August. Ah, uh, but I like summertime, summertime, summertime too. That's fun. Uh, now that the summer's almost entirely done, and you guys are getting ready to go back to school, I think we <laughs> should dedicate um, the entire month to good books to listen to uh, while on a road trip. In the grand old tradition of you don't know that doing things almost too late. <laughs> Almost too late, but still close enough to say, well, I guess, you know, I guess, I guess, I guess was, sort of, I guess I was all right. Maybe next summer you can tap into this anyway. So for the, the next, uh, remaining, uh, couple weeks, we are going to do, uh, single book episodes where we talk about a good book to road trip. Listen to during your road trip. These are also known as cop out episodes. Mm-hmm. They are cop out episodes. I do have a suggestion for where we start. Um, it's a, personal favorite of mine and it's also a book not to get too meta here about road trips written oh. by of course friend of the show john steinbeck mm. <laughs> of mice and men of mice and men that famous road trip romp <laughs> <laughs> no i'm talking of course about uh travels with charlie john steinbeck's one of his only non-fiction novels that he wrote and um and a book about john steinbeck taking a road trip Joseph. Yes. I'm excited to, to hear about how that scene ends that you described to us. <laughs> um, okay. We've been waiting patiently. Please continue. So Dead Eye Dick um, is a novel written by Kurt Vonnegut in 1982. And it really is like he writes it around the time he turns 60 years old. And we joked before that this kind of kicks off the second half of his career. Um, probably the the worst half of his career, uh, but it it really does. Yeah, it's it is definitely a deep cut. Um, I I just was looking for some sales numbers right now, and one of the things that I thought was telling is just in the Kurt Vonnegut section on uh, on Amazon, like today, right? Like if you look at Amazon sales today, mm-hmm. this book is something like twenty seventh, like his twenty seventh most popular book three different instances of Cat's Cradle sell higher than this. <laughs> so, so not just Cat's Cradle, but just three different versions of the same book sell higher than this guy. So this is, it's a deep cut. So deep. Joe, I'm, Joe, I'm curious. You brought a book to the podcast called, uh, Vonnegut, it's called like Slim Jim or yeah. Beef Slappy, Turkey uh, Snack Slappy, Stick. Snack Slappy Stick. Sam's. Snack Stick. How does this compare sales-wise to Snack Stick? Just so we can kind of oh. triangulate. 
little bit. That's a really good question. Um, Thank you. I bet, I bet slapstick. Let me, let me find an answer for you. Um, slapstick <laughs> is barely higher. Yeah. On this list. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it is barely higher on this. So you got list. Slaughterhouse Five, classic. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Fruits. then skip about 48 books. Yep. And you've got. There's, there's three different cat's cradles in there. Then you got slapstick. And then you have Dead Eye Dick. I have a one star review for you. <laughs> yeah, th- let's hear him. I bet there's a bunch. Um, <laughs> this one star review is from Solo Gadin, mm-hmm. which oh, it's probably not his name. Or if it is, I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> Solo Garden. Solo Gidan. One star. These all start to run together for me. I don't think that's my fault. <laughs> 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 oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, so are we getting oh. that same Vonnegut brand of upbeat, fun, um, bookery? Well, I think what Sologodin is talking about here is when you read a Kurt Vonnegut book, it definitely has a feel to it, mm. right? Like, like there is a way that Kurt Vonnegut writes. He writes in short, simple sentences. He writes in like short sections. Um, a lot of times there's like hand-drawn illustrations in his book that what? he is the one that draws. Um, yeah. I did like, not know that. That's very interesting. Yeah, I, didn't, I did not know that either, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. That's, hey, that's the sort of value I bring to this uh, podcast, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. This, but so like this is very much in the Vonnegut style. Um, one of the ways I've seen this style described, I really liked this as a metaphor, is they said Kurt Vonnegut, all of his books are like walking this tightrope over this gorge. And in that gorge are all the pitfalls of humanity. You know, there's like war and there's famine and there's greed and there's all this stuff, right? But he's like juggling on the tightrope tightrope, right? Like he's keeping it light and fun and airy and like kind of enjoyable. But that whole time you're just balancing on this, uh, on this precipice. And then about two pages in, he takes his running header into the gorge. (laughs) So the way that I've seen that, so, so that's how Vonnegut's writing in general is described. The way I've seen it applied to Dead Eye Dick is somebody said the difference between this book and all of Vonnegut's other books is the whole time he's on the tightrope, he keeps pointing into the gorge for this one saying, hey, look at all those dead bodies down there. Oh, gracious. <laughs> Wait, is this a children's book? I mean, it's got a chill child main character. It's got pictures. Mm-hmm. It's got short, sweet, like, sentences. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Let's, mm-hmm. let's have Joseph tell us what this book is about. Let's start here. It's a deep cut. It's also a deep cut that I would hope so. Cuts kind of deeply, right? Oh shit! Oh, nice. You just did that. Okay, did you? Good. That you. was very good, Joe. Two points. And when Ian is talking about his books here, like his Buick Eight book, I couldn't help but notice the similarity, right? Like making the best of a no-win situation. That's absolutely something that we see inside of this book. Um, early on, he said. Bad things happen, they just do. That is absolutely a takeaway from this book, too. So Stephen King and uh, Kurt Vonnegut, both maybe approaching their 60th birthdays, got a little melancholic <laughs> and a little bit a little bit like, ah. Hmm. So are, you're saying some of the, the least popular books by these iconic authors are real downers. Just them dealing with what it means. Really like the, the, the futility of life. I, I don't want to speak about Buick 8, but I will speak for 
Kurt Vonnegut. I here. think you can go ahead and speak about it. I'll speak on Ian's behalf. Okay, I want to touch on the plot really briefly. I, I just want to throw out some bullet points at you. Um, I already kind of talked about like the the culminating event, like the most important piece in this. But um, I do want to talk through this because every time you describe a Vonnegut vo- plot, it just sounds like a fever dream. Okay, do you do ready? your best, Joe. Yeah, we're we'll, yeah. Well, you have our patient support. Absolutely. Okay. There is this rich asshole who inherits his family's fortune. Um, And the family made their fortune selling drugs, more or less. Um, It was like one of these uh, Uncle Elmo's, you know, like tonic elixir that's made with, you know, opium and cocaine and all these things. Like a snake oil, essentially. Literally snake oil salesman. Smart. Smart. This guy inherits his family's fortune. He pretty much goes on to squander his life. Like he sees himself as an artist. He gets this terrible art mentor. They go to Europe and basically party and hang out in brothels. Um, At one time, he tries to enter art school in Vienna and uh, along with his close friend, Adolf Hitler, gets rejected from art school. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. Does he go down a similar path as his friend? So, no, he doesn't go down a similar path. He moves back to Midland City, Ohio, and he lives as, like, the town... Um, Hitler like, does? The, the, the town-eccentric? No, this is um, this is our, our main character's dad. <laughs> they both get knocked on the head, and when they wake up, they're switched. However, I will say that um, because he's personal friends with Hitler... As Hitler rises to power in Germany, this guy is like a big supporter of him. Like he's like flying a Nazi flag in the front yard. Like he's like he thinks his buddy Hitler is doing some good things over in Germany. And then once World War Two starts, um, he he really tones it down quite a bit. Right. Really calms down with all the Hitler support. So you really don't start on the side of this main character. No, he's pretty detestable like early on. And I should say, this is not the main character. This is the main character's father. This is the main character's dad. Dick Sr. Dick, Dick Sr. Sr. Dick, Mr. Dick. His son, his name is Rudy. That's our point of view character. Uh, Suffers a whole bunch of collateral damage from having this kind of piece of crap dad. Um, We've talked about him turning 12 years old, having a good day at the shooting range, going up and like uh, shooting over the city with the 30 odd six and accidentally hitting a pregnant woman in her house as she vacuums the second floor. And that event obviously shapes the rest of his life. So, among other okay. people's. Yeah. I mean, it shapes, I, it shapes some other people's death. Probably Joe, mm, yes. I have a question. Yes. Uh, did, Vonnegut sort of subside into a rhythm where he was just thinking of the most offensive or like grody things he could and then yeah, seeing how he grody. could make, make them into a story. He's like, huh, what's in the news recently? Uh, oh, uh, accidental <laughs> shootings of a pregnant woman in uh, oh, Adolf Hitler. Yeah, cool. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Oh, Ohio. Yeah, let's mash it all into <laughs> really, a nasty uh, story together. Like, is uh, this, is this just kind of like, I, I mean, he's, he is obviously high art with a capital A and he's, he's part of the, the literary canon, but is this just like sensational? Is he trolling? Okay. I, I, it's not sensational, but Hurt. like, if you are picking up a hint of like, oh, he's writing about really like unfair and inhumane and unjust things in this book, like you're absolutely right. Um, uh, 
a whole bunch of people die in this book. And like the shot shooting of the pregnant woman is probably the most sensationalized, but just in passing, we get all sorts of like fatal well, fatalities. Um, there is a character who has his head blown off in a hunting accident that we get mentioned in passing. Uh, there's a character that dies of a fatal dose of radioactivity because her fireplace was built with like concrete that had been exposed to a nuclear blast site. And then she lived in that house for, for her entire life. Um, there's a woman that commits suicide by drinking Drano, uh, at one hole, at one point, keep in mind that Vonnegut is a science fiction writer, a neutron bomb goes off, um, outside of a weapons factory in Midland city, Ohio, and a hundred thousand people die, but the property is totally undamaged. Right? So like this neutron bomb goes off, all these people die. And it's this type of technology, which is not a real technology, but exists in Kurt's Vonnegut's world here that kills the people, but leaves the property undamaged. Um, and Vonnegut has some philosophizing there about like, so was anything of value actually lost? Mm. Um, Like there's tons of death. And by the way, a huge point part of this story takes place during world war two, like during Adolf Hitler's rise to power. And uh, that the the stories that we all know from that. Is it a fake history? Like an alternate, alternate history. Yeah. Alternate history. Thank you. It's, it's, you know, science fiction grounded in, in historical Tarantino style. Yeah. Kind of Tarantino style. That's a pretty good way to think about it. Which is my favorite type of pizza. Um, (laughs) did, all right. What's, so what's this, what's this book doing? He's just, uh, throwing a little commentary at a a little spice of life commentary, Vonnegut style, just saying how we're all bad. Everybody's bad. (laughs) Everybody's bad. Hello, it's me, Kurt Vonnegut. And I'm here to tell you, yeah, you're all still bad. (laughs) Um, that sounds like a lot of bad things that happened, Joe. I just want to remind um, Ian and our listeners that this is fiction. Right. <laughs> Thank so. you. Okay, that's cool. That's a that's a big, that's a honestly a big So, so Ian's son can sleep yes. soundly in so, the backseat as he listens to this No podcast. need to be worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. everything in real life is great, unlike this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so totally. I think we're on the same page. Vonnegut says, I think, I would make an argument here, that he talks about crime and punishment, right, being totally random and unjust. So do you know all all those ways that I just listed that people died, right? Like that woman is shot while vacuuming in an upstairs bedroom. The guy has his head blown off in a, a hunting accident. There's a fatal dose of radioactivity. A neutron bomb goes off, all that stuff. There's exactly one person that's punished in this book for the crime that they commit, and it's the 12-year-old kid that shoots the gun over the city. Despite the fact that, like, if you look at the hunting accident, right, it's kind of the same crime. Like, it was a person shot with a firearm unintentionally. I do think it's commentary on just humans' ability to be really crappy to one another first at like first of all right like this idea of hey human beings have these um uh, like there's a moment where the the guy's husband the 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 woman's husband who is shot he get, like writes a uh what do you call it in the newspaper uh obituary. headline 
Like, like kind of an, no, neither one of those things. Um, like an opinion piece. He writes like an opinion column, piece. In the column, an op-ed. Mm-hmm. A column. So the guy's, or the, the woman's husband, uh, the woman who dies, her husband, writes an op-ed in the newspaper and he says, look, my wife has been killed by a machine which never should have come into the hands of any human being. It's called a firearm. It makes the blackest of all human wishes come true at once, at a distance, that something die. That's evil. We can't get rid of mankind's fleetingly wicked wishes. We can get rid of the machines that make them come true. I give you a holy word, disarm. So I think this is, I mean, that's like as clearly as Vonnegut can say it in this text. This is in some ways a case for disarmament. I mean- what do you think bom- he meant by that line? Yeah, right. Like, I mean, a <laughs> bomb goes off and kills 100,000 Ohioans and nobody cares very much in this book, right? Like, it's kind of an interesting little, like, test site for the government from that point on. So I was joking about the fiction thing, but it sounds like this is nonfiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so, like, of course this is fiction, but, like, what makes science fiction interesting and harrowing all the time is, like, how close to reality it can feel like how close to reality it can be Hmm. did you like the book yeah i i I really dug it um i ian and i have talked before you know i i feel like in my heart i am an optimist like in my heart i feel like humanity is good like humans are good and and things like that and i don't want to put uh words in ian's mouth but ian's kind of down on people ian's kind of down on humanity ian fair um, I would Probably say not. I'm, a re- I'm a realist, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that's fair, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things I l- like about this book, one of the things that I think is interesting about this book is this book is pretty down on humanity. Like it doesn't really, it kind of says like, look, life is pretty purposeless and Bad things happen randomly in life, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then I arrive at this point where I think, okay, so what? Right? Like, is the is the moral here, bad things happen in life and there's nothing you can do about it, is the moral so make the best of what you've got? Like, so make the best of your time here? Or is the moral so this is pretty much hopeless and pointless? Knowing Vonnegut, the moral is probably the latter. Okay. Yeah, he's a downer, but I think I think that's why people like him. I have a very brief argument to be made. It's kind of both ways, I guess. Like, like I, there's two different epilogues for this book, okay? And I want to give you the last words out of each epilogue and maybe let you kind of decide. How does a book have two epilogues? Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Is it like choose your own adventure? Or is it He's like, like and oh, is it like, um, is it like the Clue movie where you, if you get like one copy of the book, it's one epilogue and you get a different copy, it's a different epilogue. Yeah, so kind of a funny just publishing story. Depending on which version um, of the book that you buy, like which printing that you buy, sometimes this is just presented as the two last chapters. Sometimes like one is presented as an epilogue and the other one's presented as chapter 28. Sometimes like they're both presented as epilogues. Like, P.S., P.S.S., the, the last words in the first epilogue is this quote that Vonnegut says he saw on a bathroom wall, right? And you might have heard it before. It's three quotes attributed to three different people. And the first one is, to be is to do, Socrates. The second one is, to do is to be, Sarté. And the third one is, doobie, doobie, doo, Sinatra. Yep. And I read that, like, 
boy, these are his last words in the book. They must be like powerful, right? Like they must be meaningful. And when I read that, like here we have Socrates, here here we have Sartre kind of looking for the meaning of life. To be is to do, to do is to be. And then Sinatra gets the last word here, this dooby dooby do. And it's kind of, to me, reads like a little bit hopeful or a little bit like, hey, humans kind of suck. Like, and you can't really do anything about it, but make the most of the time that you've got here. Like, at least we can dance, right? Like, at least we can dooby dooby do. So that's my first reading. My second reading uh, in the second epilogue is a little more uh, dismal. Uh, and he ends the second <laughs> epilogue with a, with a simple sentence, and it says, we are still in the dark ages. Yeah. Well, mm. but even that's even that's got some hope to it because like the dark ages had an end and the end of the dark ages was the Renaissance. So, yeah, like we're headed towards something good. Like we are in the dark ages. But boy, if we figure this out, guys. Right. And J- Joe, as you say that, honestly, it's like I think I wonder if these guys, these these late middle aged white men can't really can't really like stick the landing with truly grim dour stuff like at the end of my book there is a little detail which suggests that maybe everything's okay maybe everything will start to become okay not it's not okay now it's not all good now but it might be okay in the future and this like dark ages quote seems to me like he's saying there is hope for evolution beyond this yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) yes maybe maybe i have i have a question for joe yeah. Okay. Anything for questions for me? Yeah. Or? I'll ask you a question too, Nick. Don't worry. Okay. My question, actually, it's the same question for both of you. Mm-hmm. What did, what didn't you like about Dead Eye Dick? This is tough for me to answer. It is. I mean, <laughs> it is. How about this? Joe, Joe, I'll ask you, what didn't you like about this book? And Nick, I'll ask you, have you had any good IPAs recently? Yeah. From IPAs for like the beer, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, I have. Thank you. Great. Um, well, asked so, and answered. I'm really glad yeah, to hear that. Joe, so that's nice. Now it's you. your turn to answer. Yeah, I think the thing I didn't like the most, you know, I, I talked about how in my heart I'm, I'm just an eternal optimist, and what I didn't like the most is Vonnegut makes a pretty compelling case that that people are really awful. <laughs> in this right really and like, spells it out yeah you really like pretty irrefutable evidence um and just that idea of you know he describes your life as a people that opens up right like you are a wisp of nothingness before your life and when you are born you just have this little people that opens up that you can see the world with right but you can't actually interact with the world. Like it just bombards you with information. So, you know, like there's a character who says, there's this black woman that the, that the main character meets. And she says, man, my peephole opened up and everyone says, you're black, you're black, you're black. That's unlucky. Your peephole opens up and people say, you're white, you're white, you're white. That's lucky. Well, you can't do anything about that. That's just the game that you've entered into is the stance that they take here right? Um, and when you die, your people just closes and like, you can't have any impact on the world while you're here. You just observe, you take an information and then you leave and you're back to nothingness. And by the way, that stuff that you observe is random violence and misfortune and right. Like things happening to us, right? The bad things happen. They just do. Um, 
that's that feels really dismal to me. And maybe there's hope at the end of this, right? Doobie dooby doo, or we're still in the dark ages. But boy, it doesn't feel hopeful when you're reading it. Uh, Joe, you lose. <laughs> that God, sounds son of a gun. Maybe one day, Joe. I'm not saying this book is has lost forever. Although you did lose this week, that's on you. Um, I, so I'm not saying this book has lost forever. Maybe when I, when one day when I hate myself and right. I, I hate the world and I just need to like when your daughter really disappoints commiserate you. in yeah and just just bask in misery. Um, right. This could be the book. Right. Like when you, when your life, when the meaningful part of your life has ended and yeah. you're just in the long <laughs> epilogue before death, right? Yes. Like this might be the book for you. Yeah. I, I buy it. Plus Joe, uh, Ian, I used to own a Buick. So <laughs> that's you know, pretty good. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. That's pretty good. All right. Well, I am heartbroken. Lidheads, um, <laughs> if you want to help me, uh, if you want to help me recover from this grief, uh, go ahead to you don't know litpodcast.com and submit a theme. We love your themes. We love your book suggestions. Uh, and if you want to help the show, you can go ahead and leave a review on the podcast player of your choice. We read them all and we really like the nice ones. Ian, congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations to Deadeye Richard himself. Okay. This is a quote which I think really well sums up what I was talking about where with, with King's idea of um, some questions we just can't answer. It's towards the end of the book. I laughed and clapped him on the shoulder. The shadows had gone out of his face and suddenly it was possible to like him again. As for his questions and his childish insistence that the story must have an ending and the ending must hold some kind of answer well time might take care of it maybe i'd been expecting too many of my own answers the imitation lives we see on tv and in the movies whisper the idea that human existence consists of revelations and abrupt changes of heart by the time we've reached full adulthood, I think this is an idea we have on some level come to accept. And such things may happen from time to time, but I think that for the most part it's a lie. Life's changes come slowly. They come the way my youngest nephew breathes in his deepest sleep. Sometimes I feel the urge to put a hand on his chest just to assure myself he's still alive. Seen in that light, the whole idea of curious cats attaining satisfaction seemed slightly absurd. The world rarely finishes its conversations. If 23 years of living with the Buick 8 had taught me nothing else, it should have taught me that. 